the San Francisco Experience podcast. Brought to you by Jim Hurley. Independent commentary from a Silicon Valley, California perspective for a global audience. Featuring newsmakers, thought leaders, and authors. Season 21, Episode 7. Fintopia. Why Finland is the happiest country in the world. Talking with author Professor Danny Dorling. In March 2023, for the sixth straight year in a row, Finland ranked as the happiest country in the world. That's according to the UN Sustainable Development Solutions Network. They use global survey data from people in more than 150 countries. And in case you missed it, March 20th was International Day of Happiness, designated by the United Nations and marking its 10th anniversary this year. The United States ranked number 15, the UK 19, Canada 13, Australia 12, Ireland 14, and France dropped to number 21. So what makes Finland the happiest place on earth? With us today to explain why is Professor Danny Dorling, Professor of Geography at Oxford University and author of Fintopia, What We Can Learn from the World's Happiest Country. Danny joins us from his office in Oxford. Good morning, Danny, and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Danny, how did you develop an interest in Finland, a Nordic country of 5 million, known for its northern lights, Nokia cell phones, and the most recent member of NATO? Well, it's been quite a long time coming for me to become interested in Finland. I've been mainly interested in the UK, and I've written many, many books about Britain, and also in comparisons with other very affluent countries, especially the USA, which is in some ways one of the most similar places to the UK. But after 20 years of writing these books, they often became a bit depressing because there were books about society pulling apart, people being angry with each other, Mm -hmm. rising levels of inequality, high levels of poverty, problems affording housing, concerns about immigration, all these kind of things. And I began to look at international comparisons and thought, can I write a book that compares England in particular, part of the UK, the largest part, with somewhere else? And I decided I was going to write a book called England and Finland, because Finland, in all kinds of international statistics, not just happiness, stands out as being the best country in the world, either first, second, or third, mm. in over 100, over 110 social statistics. And I worked with a researcher who was Finnish, and we put a proposal to a publisher. And the publisher said, they were very interested, but please could we take the England bit out and just write <laughs> about Finland? Uh-huh. And I felt less confident at this point because, you know, I'm English. But luckily, because of my co-author, the Anika, we decided we could do it. And we're going to try and write a book about Finland, not just explaining why people are so happy there, but also trying to pull that argument apart and, and look at those things that don't work in Finland or what people say don't work and whether it's true, and what the, what goes wrong in the happiest place on earth. Now, Danny, tell us about your research in Finland. And as the title suggests, is Finland a modern-day utopia? But before you launch into Fintopia, 
why is it important for countries to measure the happiness of its citizens? It's really important because there is no point being rich if you're not happy. And if you look across the world, if you go 100 or 150 years ago, most people everywhere were poor. Most people in the UK were poor. Most people in the USA were poor. We've seen an incredible increase in our average material circumstances, what we have. But we haven't seen an improvement in our happiness, whereas some places have. And those places which rank highest in the world, you'd have thought we would go to learn from. Mm -hmm. to see what is it that they're doing right. And you have to ask these questions every year and a lot of other questions because you don't necessarily believe what people tell you. Mm -hmm. And then, and this is the hard thing, and people in England and people in the USA are not good at this, you have to say, we're not going to say that we're the best in the world. We're going to go and look at the place that actually is the best in the world Mm -hmm. and ask, why is it and what can we learn from it? Well, of course, here in the United States, we have a special obsession with happiness. As you probably recall in the Declaration of Independence, one of the quote-unquote God-given rights in addition to life and liberty is the pursuit of happiness, unquote. So it's actually built into the pursuit of happiness is actually built into the foundational documents of this country. So I think our listeners, especially our listeners here in the United States, will be especially interested to find out about Fintopia and whether or not It truly is the modern-day utopia as the happiest country in the world. So take it away, Danny. And and that's that's a great example. And you can't just ask people, how are you doing? Are you happy? Partly because the answer you get is very cultural. In the U.S., to generalize, if you say how you're doing to somebody, particularly somebody you don't know, just a stranger, the almost automatic response is, I'm doing great. In the U.K., the automatic response is, very well, thank you. In a country like France, people are much more likely to say average, which, uh-huh. of course, is more true. You know, but more of us are averagely happy most of the time. The question which is asked in the international survey is a little bit longer. It asks people to imagine a ladder with numbers from one to ten up steps and then ask them to place themselves on that ladder. All things being considered, how happy are they from a scale from one to ten? Now, when that question is asked in Finland... People consider it, they think what is possible, what is reasonable, and they they return this number. And that number didn't, in the past, used to be the highest in the world. But six years ago it was, and it's actually moved even further away from other countries now. Hmm. And it isn't, of course, that isn't the only way we measure happiness. But we also look at surveys of diagnosed mental health. We look at things like the number of antidepressants that people are taking, the Mm -hmm. number that are being sold, not what they say they're taking, but how many are actually sold through pharmacies. And we look at a whole series of really concrete things that are related to happiness, of which I would say by far the most important is actual health. We have a very common phrase, you know, how is your health, good health, and so on. As you get older, you begin to realize that the most important thing to happiness is is health. Mm -hmm. Now, a few years ago, Finland achieved an incredible thing. It recorded the lowest infant mortality rate that the human species had ever seen. Hmm. Ill health amongst children is more rare in Finland than it is anywhere. Hmm. Whereas, and your listeners probably know this, but many people in the US don't, 
the United States has a higher infant mortality rate than I think almost anywhere in, in Europe. And health is not better in the in the US. Even for the best of 1% of people in the US, they're not living any longer than the best of 1% in England. And we have much less wealth than the US. And we're doing much worse than most of Europe. So it's these hard comparisons of things like infant mortality and life expectancy that matter alongside actually asking people to consider, take a moment, step back and say, how are you actually doing? Mm -hmm. Now, I noticed in your book that you cite Statistics Finland, which, of course, is a an official government body that amasses statistics all about the Finnish economy, the Finnish people, etc. And in the appendix to your book, there's about five pages of dozens of different categories of measurements that uh, Statistics Finland actually takes to take the temperature, if you will, of Finnish society. And for instance, that statistic that you just gave on infant mortality, that's one of many dozens and dozens of measurements that Statistics Finland gives. So all of the data that you've included in your book is based on number one, Statistics Finland and what you and your colleague have actually measured on the ground as opposed to, so there is a scientific basis to what you're saying yeah. about Finland being a, the most happy country in the world. Oh, yes. And it's based on OECD data, data from the World Bank, data from the World Health Organization. And what is really surprising about in that list of over 100, it is, it's not the normal things that liberals worry about, you know, health and so on. Mm -hmm. It is things like best country in the world to do business least corruption in business there are a whole load of things that people who were not liberals would actually look at and go well that's incredible what's going on there i think even helsinki airport which is very small was ranked in the top three in europe and it's really quick you land you walk in you walk out you walk on to the amazing tram system it <laughs> for almost no money you travel wherever you want to in helsinki and you will not spot a single homeless person I mean, from coming from a place like England, which is doing badly in Western Europe now, or San Francisco, the idea that you can travel in the capital city of a country and not see a single person living on the streets is almost unimaginable. Indeed, particularly here in San Francisco with our much publicized and highly visible homelessness problem. But let's just come back to some of the unique history and climate and culture of Finland. Tell us a little bit about Finland's unique history, because it wasn't that long ago that Finland actually was one of the poorest countries in Europe and suffered from what is known as, quote-unquote, extreme poverty. So what are some of the unique historic, cultural, and climatic effects that yeah. contribute to the, the Finnish culture and the fact that they, they're happier than we are? This is fascinating, and it also gets into the, the kind of minutiae because one of the really important questions is why does Finland do better than the other Nordic countries? Mm -hmm. Why is it happier than Sweden? Why is it happier than Norway, when Norway has all that money and all that oil? Yes. Why is it happier than Denmark? Now, people often say climate. They often want to, to say this is a resistant people, the winters are cold and long. The climate made people tough, it stopped them complaining, and then they're happy. But the problem with that, the two problems with that answer, 
One is there are quite a lot of places around the world with a similar climate and they're not all that happy or all well run. And the other is that although the winters are dark and it can be a shock, as soon as it snows, late November, December, it becomes much lighter because and actually very beautiful because the sun reflects off the snow. So the worst month in Finland is, is late October, November. You know, if you're not going to visit or if you want to know a plate time not to go, don't go in November. Uh-huh. That's the, the climate side of it. And, and you can look at geology as well. I mean, this is ancient rock, very flat, thousands of lakes, beautiful. The history is, in a way, the most ravaged and left alone place, ravaged by having been a colony of three, possibly four European countries, never been a country until recently on its own. A colony of of Sweden, a colony of part of Germany, uh, I believe, and then of course controlled by Russia, and incredibly poor in the historical estimates of Europe that go back a couple of centuries and are fairly reliable. Finland was the poorest place. It's the place you tried to leave. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you just walked out if you had any sense and, and got out of it. Not a fortuitous history. The very opposite, if you like, to England and the USA. England became the richest place on the planet in the middle of the 19th century, the center of the largest empire the world has ever known. Mm-hmm. And then the USA took over that position and then and became the richest place on, on the planet. Finland was the poorest, but after it gained independence and it had a terrible civil war, it slowly, slowly developed in ways that made it possible to become better. It, this through things like people from Finland traveling to look at other countries they came to the uk mm-hmm. uh, in the 1960s to look up our education and housing systems which were very good then and they copied our education system which is the idea of having comprehensive schools where everybody goes to the same school mm-hmm. uh, we've now abandoned that but the Finns have done it and they top the league tables for the best educated people in the world they went out and looked that they were also geopolitically in a in a strange position because they were on the very front line in the cold war mm-hmm. helsinki is where you went to have your peace conferences mm-hmm. and although that sounds like a bad place to be you get left alone and you can work out what to do for yourself and the other big issue that finland had was that it was losing people all the time they were emigrating and so it had to do something for its population, and particularly the group most likely to leave, which is the poorest, to get them to stay. And, and what it did for the poorest was, in terms of education, make sure that for funding of schools, more money went towards educating the poorest quarter of children than any other group. Mm-hmm. And that turned out to be unbelievably effective. You don't need to spend lots of money on middle-class children and their education. They'll do fine anyway. Mm -hmm. You need to spend it on the children from the poorest families, and that pushes your whole society up. And we're talking the best in the world at doing maths, the best at problem-solving, speaking multiple languages by the age of 16, even more by 18. You're talking Swedish, Finnish, English, certainly, maybe Russian, maybe German. Not uncommon to meet 18-year-olds who can speak five, six, or seven languages and mm. write in at least four of them. There was luck as well. There has to have been luck. Bad things didn't happen that could have happened. But perseverance. I mean, Finland was on the wrong side in the Second World War. Right. It had to pay reparations to Russia. Mm-hmm. It had to build an industry that made it enough money to pay the debt it owed the USSR. 
it became very good at building cruise ships, but it also was very innovative. It helped invent Wi-Fi, not just Nokia. And it was diverse. It diversified its economy. So that when Nokia suddenly did very badly, when the world decided they didn't like that wonderful little phone and an American company did rather better, Finland didn't collapse. It had other industries in, into which it could move. Measurements of equality, for instance, and government stability, they had the cleanest elections, uncontested elections. They have the highest proportion of women participating in parliament. They have a unicameral parliament that is a one-chamber parliament. And isn't uh, the prime minister until recently was uh, was a woman and the leaders of all of the other parties in her coalition were women. Talk to us about how equality has really taken hold in that country and equality also as regards gender equality and all the rest of it. I mean, this, this is fascinating. And we honestly could really learn from the US and, and the UK where we have all kinds of culture wars and argue about equalities. And if you want to see somewhere just doing it well, without fights, without much fighting, it is Finland. Very, very democratic. A lot of Europe was. A lot of Europe after 1918 adopted the proportional representation system, various ones of voting. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas the UK never did, and the USA hasn't. So, you know, you have an advantage of starting off knowing that your vote will actually be reflected in the outcome. The rise of, of, of the position of women in the Nordic states as a whole is interesting. And I've never seen a really good explanation about why it was there that women did so much better, but they did. They also, to generalize, in Finland certainly, women took over the most left-wing parties. Mm -hmm. So rather than the most left-wing parties being run by slightly belligerent, grumpy old men, (laughs) you know, with their principles of, you know, we must do this and this, I'm not thinking of anyone in particular, but much better to have young, realistic women running your left, most liberal parties than grumpy old men. Mm -hmm. The, The prime minister, she was the youngest prime minister on the planet, apart from a brief period where when a young man from Austria was in power. Mm-hmm. And the other parties, because you have to form a coalition in Finland, you can never form a government on your own because there are about eight major parties. The Swedish People's Speaking Party, the, the left, the party of the left, which is one of the most left-wing parties in Europe, it's a proper socialist party, has two ministers or had two ministers in, in the coalition. The Greens are in government. The group who are not in government were the Conservatives. If you'd like, although it's ridiculous to say it, the equivalent of Republicans. But Finland, the politics is so far shifted that that's an almost laughable comparison. And the other party in Finland, which didn't get in but may form a coalition now, is the most far-right party uh, called the Finns Party, which used to be the anti-U party, uh, the equivalent of UKIP, if you know British policy. But they're the most, I mean, Finnish people might be annoyed to hear me say this, they're the least offensive far-right party in Europe. They want to stay in the EU. Mm-hmm. They even want immigration from the south of Europe. However, that's because they don't want migrants from outside of Europe. <laughs> so, you know, everything is perfect in Finland. Uh-huh. But you don't have to fear the most right-wing party and the Conservatives being in power, which is likely to be what's happening soon, because they're not that different. And their policies are more progressive. This is the right wing of Finland. Their policies are more socially progressive than the most socially progressive of the left wing of England. 
let's move on and talk about information society and competitiveness. Of course, we all remember Nokia. You spoke about Finland being one of the earliest adopters of Wi-Fi. I didn't know that. And then, of course, when you overlay the educational reforms and their investment in human capital, it all sort of makes sense. But give us a sense of the innovativeness that, that we see in Finnish society as regards the computer age, artificial intelligence, Wi-Fi, etc. It's practical. So the version of Wi-Fi that most people in the world use was invented in Finland. It's very practical engineering. There's a very nerdy side to Finnish society. And interestingly, it's one of the things where there is a very strong gender divide. This is young men in Finland much, much more than young women. Hmm. And it's interesting in a society where you don't describe roles to young men and young women. In Finland, it's almost entirely young, young men doing this, but it's practical. Finland produces more patents per head than the USA. It is hmm. more inventive as our other Nordic countries. And okay, it's only got a population of 5 million, but you know, for a rate, that, that is still high. Helsinki, just moving forward from the computer age, Helsinki is, is now the world leader in growing proteins. So you don't have to rear animals. You can have your proteins grown from sunlight, uh, so on, and of course, using other forms of energy. So the, the forefront of that, not so much in esoteric technologies like AI. It's much more practical, engineering, stable, going to work, rather than into things, you know, so that the Finns don't produce top-end cars for a luxury market, mm -hmm. which I think is quite safe for them because it means they don't have to rely on that market existing. Mm -hmm. It's not Silicon Valley. It's your nuts and bolts. It's the wiring in between things, the stuff that's always going to be needed that is more often done by people in, in Finland. And it's innovative, practical. It has to be. People are not going to go out of their way to hire a Finnish company to do something. It has to be good value very, very good quality for it to work and for it to sell. Let's move on to health. You referenced the lowest infant mortality rate in the world, in Finland. Let's talk about the broader population through childhood into adolescence, adulthood. What do the health statistics across the board, and particularly for adults in Finland, look like? There's been a dramatic change in Finland. You've got to remember, this is one of the poorest places in Europe just 100 years ago. It was pretty poor 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. So when you look at older adults, their life expectancy is not much above the European average. It's not great. Some of them may have drunk a lot in the past. In the past, Finland had a big problem with alcohol, much, much less now. Mm -hmm. There was a problem with homelessness 30 years ago. There were, there were tens of thousands of people sleeping in the heated toilets in, in the cities. I mean, you'd die if you didn't mm -hmm. sleep in the heated toilets because, because of the temperature. So the elderly population's health is not brilliant. But the young adults is incredibly good. And the infants, of course, do the best. You're seeing a society getting rapidly healthier. Now, they worry about things. They worry about, for instance, the mental health of young adults. And there are numerous reports about the poor state of mental health of young adults in Finland. However, when you look at the comparisons across Europe, their mental health is better than young adults anywhere else in Europe. Mm -hmm. um, it's, but the great thing is that they worry about it, and that's how you keep it better, by actually being concerned about why aren't all young people, you know, incredibly happy in this wonderful place. And, you know, nowhere's a utopia. Mm -hmm. And Finland did 20 years ago have a relatively high suicide rate. Places that are remote, 
get dark in winter tend to, but that has improved very, very much. And uh, there are there are other reasons. I mean, it's not that hard to get exercise in Finland. It's not that hard to eat well. But more importantly than all of that, Finland is one of the most equal societies on the planet. So almost nobody has to go hungry. There's no need for food stamps. Mm. People have enough money to buy food. And also you don't have a group who have too much money. <laughs> so you don't get gluttony mm -hmm. uh, as much as much either. And that in international studies has been found to be the major predictor of good and bad health amongst rich countries in the world is essentially a level of inequality. And it's for obvious physical reasons of just being able to look after yourself, but also psychological reasons, because in a country like Finland, you know people respect you because the fundamental way we respect each other is by how much money we allow each other to have and what we demand of each other. Finland has the best work-life balance in the world for all social groups. You don't have to work after 10 o'clock at night if you don't want to. In practice, what this means is that if you're in Finland and you wanted to pick up a pizza at 10 o'clock at night, it's very difficult because nobody is serving pizza at 10 at night because they don't want to do those jobs. Right. That has an incredible improvement on the health of the population. You don't have people working two or three low-pay jobs. It just doesn't happen. That's the kind of thing you need to be healthy. And you might think, well, that, that it's not so much fun for the well-off in Finland. They do very, very well mentally in terms of not worrying about crime, in terms of that their, their children go to school with other children. They don't have to pay for them to go to a special school or worry which county they live in. One of the things that fascinates me most, because I'm a well-off professor from the University of Oxford, is when I meet my equivalent professors in Finland, they're so calm. They're so laid back. They don't complain. Their salaries, in real terms, will be less than half of the salary of a U.S. Mm. professor. Mm -hmm. But they're such happier people, <laughs> which is really good news. Because otherwise, you know, if having a lot of money made you happy, we'd all have to try and get a lot of money. And, of course, what a lot of money means is actually more than other people. If it's not more than other people, it's not a lot. Yes. And, and most people have to lose that game. Whereas what Finland shows is that, and this is most important of all, for the best off 10% and the best off 1%, if you want to be content yourself and if you want your children to be calm and content, you need a more equal society. And then they really thrive in that. And this is what England and the USA really don't get. We just think, oh, if we could just all get richer, we'd be happier. It's not just Finland. The Nordic countries in general, Germany and so on, are demonstrating this in increasingly strongly. But it's, it's a message that we've only been able to get in the last... 20 or 10 years as the divergence between these countries gets so big and as the data just rains down on us. Let's come back to Finland on the world stage. In the 1990s, I believe it was, Finland joined the EU. They subsequently joined the Euro. And then most recently, within the last couple of months, they've actually joined NATO. Up until that point, they walked a kind of a tight line between the West and Russia. But within the last couple of months, they've just joined NATO. Tell us about Finland on the world stage, because you also referred to them being on the wrong side of the war in World War II. So let's yeah. talk about Finland on the world stage. Finland had an incredibly tricky position on the world stage in the past, because these, these foreign powers were in charge of the country. And even after Finland got its independence, there was enormous interference from, from other places. So Finland ends up on the side of Germany and 
and losing in the Second World War. But in hindsight, actually losing a war is one of the more advantaged things that can happen to a country. Your elite are replaced by a new elite. Mm -hmm. You don't sit back and get rich on your winnings. So Germany, Japan, countries which lost on the Second World War tended to come out economically and socially better in the long run. The victors, Russia and the USA, with a small part played by the UK that we like to talk up, but we were, we were not the major players. The major players who won in the Second World War were Russia and the USA. Mm-hmm. And those two places haven't done as well as the losers. Later on, Finland finds itself on the front line in the Cold War. And one of the things that can shock you in Finland is discovering that under every building, there is a large, sunken, reinforced bomb shelter. Mm-hmm. in preparation for mass nuclear war. Probably a nuclear war that wouldn't be su- survived despite the bomb shelters everywhere. Mm-hmm. But they really are everywhere. I don't know the expectation. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know your age, but I'm 55. And so I, I grew up as a teenager at that point where we thought a nuclear war was likely. Mm-hmm. You can see from Finland that they were really planning and preparing to try it at least to get some of their population to survive it. And because they've been invaded by so many countries over so many centuries, there is a almost an expectation of this. The joining of NATO was really interesting. It was the switch from being neutral, mm-hmm. and Sweden was involved as well, to saying which side it was on. And I think, although this isn't much said in the West, it's also these two countries joining NATO also, I think, makes NATO a little bit more stable. Because, of course, you have to have, in many decisions in NATO, you have to have unanimous. If one country decides not to allow another country to join, that's it. Mm-hmm. And so these two these two rather sensible state countries, and Finland with an enormous amount to lose, you know, it, it literally is, <laughs> there is no hard border with Russia. Mm-hmm. There is an indeterminate bit of land that you could drive tanks over very easily, which has mines, but, but nevertheless, Finland has a lot to lose. And so it joined for its own protection, but I think it also joined to help help NATO be careful over what it does, because you do not want to start a wider war if you can possibly avoid it. Mm-hmm. Before I ask you to sum up your conclusions on Fintopia, let's go a little bit off topic. And why did France fall out of the top 20 most happy countries in the world and fall into place number 21? What's up with France? This is really interesting. And this is why I love these happiness statistics, because they, they tell us all kinds of things, which at first, you know, we didn't know. And then it then it makes sense. In happiness studies, there's a famous quote about the French. It was General de Gaulle was asked if he was happy. Mm-hmm. And his reply, and I can't just speak French, his reply was, do you think I'm an idiot? <laughs> <laughs> and when, when the, what, what, what de Gaulle meant when he, when he said, do you think I'm an idiot? Is, you know, people are not happy all the time. Of course they're not. Right. And there is a question about about the, the language of this question, and as it's asked around the world, yes. uh, I think the translation into Finnish is quite practical. All things being considered, you know how and and the word happy in Finnish doesn't mean deliriously happy or really just means kind of content. Yes, but in there's a late woebegone effect where you know where all the men are strong and all the women are happy or whatever. In more unequal countries, if you ask people, "Are you clever?" 
or are you a good driver? Are you better than average at this or that? You will find 80 or 90% of people telling you they're better than average. In a more equal country like France, you'll actually find people much more likely to tell you they're less than average, you know, more realistic. Japan is similar. So the French have culturally had a, a more honest answer to some questions. Hmm. But then the question is, why do they drop? Why, why did they drop? And part of the reason they dropped is there's currently a battle on in French to try and keep the amazing retirement age of 62, yes, uh, the lowest retirement age in, in Europe. And it's, it's an enormous battle against Macron, the current president, saying this is impossible. We can't carry on as a country having you retire at 62 and other people coming out on the streets <laughs> fighting for their right to retire at 62. And because that battle hasn't been settled, people are angry that they might lose a thing that's precious to them or not. And France has had quite a lot of protests in the last decade since the global, since longer, since the global financial crisis occurred. Yes. But these protests are about, are about trying to determine the future, not mm -hmm. sitting back and letting it just happen to you. But when it's not determined, it's a problem. Finland had none of these protests because when the global economic crisis hit in 2008 and GDP in Finland fell like everywhere else, they simply increased their public spending so that no services had to be cut. Mm -hmm. They already had the highest public spending in Europe, you know, a level you might think is unimaginable. You might think, how on earth could businesses operate? How can people live when they're taxed so much? Taxation, by the way, is public in Finland. You can see what everybody else pays in tax, mm -hmm. which makes it very hard to avoid tax because if you see your neighbor has three or four cars and your neighbor is not being very nice to you, you look at their tax record <laughs> and, you, and you see if they're declaring. And you just you tell the authorities, I don't think they're declaring all their income. So people pay. People pay their tax in Finland, which helps the government yes. a, a great deal. But but if you like, the French are fighting to try to be more like Finland. I see. And, that, and because they haven't got there, they're not that happy yet. That would mm -hmm. be my take. Whereas the English, we sit back much more. And when the government puts our retirement age up to 68, I think it is now, we go, oh, fair enough. <laughs> wow. And when our life expectancy comes down, so our retirement is looking shorter and shorter, we're very, very British about it. We just go, oh, stiff up a lip. We won't complain that much. We, we might, might moan a little bit. We might not vote, but, but we're, not, we're certainly never going to go out on, onto the streets and riot about it. Well, Danny, in the remaining few minutes of the podcast, could you give us a summation of Fintopia and why Finland, for six years running, has consistently been the happiest country in the world? I think what Fintopia shows is that it was a surprise to the Finns, a real, real surprise, when they became the happiest country in the world. They were surprised a few years earlier when there were the first international OECD education tests and they came out top. They didn't know their children were the cleverest in the world. It was then a surprise when each of these things happened to them. Now, finally, they're becoming less surprised. And one worry is that the Finns are actually partly this happy because they know they're this happy <laughs> or they know that if they keep on saying this happy they'll keep on beating Denmark and it becomes a kind of competition so if you're Finnish and you're suddenly phoned up by a survey company and asked a question about happiness you know what's going on and, and it, so, so I do worry about the survey uh, going forward but there are practical reasons for it there are hardly any private schools in Finland that they're, they're they're not banned you can start one but they won't work because the state schools are so good. Why would you send your child to a private school? 
The housing system is unbelievable. University students, 90% of them, get state-provided housing, which is apartments, normally for a student by themselves with a kitchen, wow. which they don't pay. There's a whole tier of social housing, different kinds. There's social housing in Helsinki for retired rock musicians. <laughs> this is like a project in the US with soundproofing. And there's an incredible, there's private housing and the house prices in the private sector are ridiculously high in Helsinki. It's really expensive. It's not quite San Francisco levels, but for Europe, it's not far off San Francisco levels. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't matter in a sense. The, the quiet deal in Finland and in a lot of Nordic countries is we won't touch your wealth as long as we can have a quality of income. So there are still lots of very rich people in Finland, but there aren't poor people. And the rich can't make the poor do what they want. But their, their houses in the middle of the city could still be worth a fortune. That's housing. On health, the waiting lists for operations are just a matter of days or at worst a few weeks. And if there are a few weeks, people get very angry in Finland. They pay their doctors less than they pay them in England. And we paid our doctors much less than they pay in the USA. But it doesn't matter because the housing is cheaper and they don't have, the doctors don't have to spend money on other things to exclude themselves from society because there isn't part of the society you'd want to exclude yourself from. So the health service is cheaper and far, far more effective. The world of work, of work is far more equal. People are more able to choose when they work and what job they do than almost anywhere else in the world. As a young person growing up in Finland, you don't have to try to get the job that will pay you the most because it won't pay you that much more than the job you might really want to do. And I can go on and on, but lastly, you can fall in love with whoever you want to because there won't be a huge social gulf between your family and their family. Mm. And it's that freedom. They're free in Finland. What they've got is freedom. And that's what we, we need to understand. It isn't perfect. There are lots of problems. There are lots of issues. There are issues about immigration and racism, but the immigrants are the happiest immigrants in Europe. Mm. You know, and I'm probably really annoying your Finnish listeners now because they want to talk and they do you talk go to Finland and talk and people will, will talk endlessly about what isn't quite right but that is why it's so good because in an almost engineering way they talk about what isn't quite right and then they work out how to fix it and then they actually do it and it's so refreshing to see this being done and it shows us what's possible and it's not that we're not stupid in England or, or, or in California, right? There are, there are historical, cultural, and reasons of luck. In Finland, if they hadn't done this, the country would empty out. Mm -hmm. Whereas, of course, in California, you don't have a problem of emptying out. People are going to go to California for various reasons, you know, regardless. And in a way, one of England's problems was that we don't have a problem of emptying out. People will migrate and come to England, partly for historical reasons, partly for international reputation. Mm -hmm. So we don't have to provide a brilliant social environment for people because we can get people to come. The opposite in Finland. In Finland, like much of the world, they have very low birth rates. If they want in their old age to be looked after by the young, they have to make it worthwhile for the young to stay. But what's happened in recent decades is people have started moving to Finland from other parts of Europe, including very warm parts, mm -hmm. because they've worked out not in huge numbers, but enough to, to change the net balance. They've worked out that their children will ha be happier and have a safer future in a more equal society than where 
they currently are. And that's really, really interesting to see. Well, this has been a fascinating review and analysis of Finland and what they've got right and lessons to be learned. I want to thank our guest, Professor Danny Dorling, for joining us today to discuss his research on Finland and what makes it such a happy place. Thank you ever so much for having me. And Danny, where can our listeners buy a copy of your book, Fintopia, What We Can Learn from the World's Happiest Country? In the US, I'm afraid it's probably Amazon that is the easiest way to get it. It may also be published by the University of Columbia Press. And Danny, how can our listeners follow you? They can just Google me. There are only a couple of Danny Dorlings in the world. It's D-A-N-N-Y. D-O-R-L-I-N-G. Just Google. There's a website. We've got the entire appendix and everything else about Finland on that website and much, much more. And Danny, what is the next book that you're working on? I'm afraid the next book is much more depressing. It's called Shattered Nation, and it's about the UK and what has happened in the last two or three years to the UK. And it's not a happy book. Uh, well, we have to balance happiness with unhappiness. And when do you expect Shattered Nation to be published? It's going to be published in September, in time for the new political season in the UK. And then I'm afraid I won't get to enjoy lovely talks like this with you. I will have to be talking about how we're running out of money and what on earth we're going to do in the country with the highest inequality now in the whole of Europe, which is the UK. Well, Danny, we'll for sure, we'll have you back come the end of the year when Shattered Nation is published. And once again, want to thank you for joining us today, Professor Danny Dorling of Oxford University and his book, Fintopia, What We Can Learn from the World's Happiest Country. Thank you for joining us, Danny. Thank you ever so much. And for our listeners, today's episode is number 412 as we continue to mark our third anniversary. Listen to us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Amazon Music, 13 platforms in total. And join our global audience spanning 65 countries by subscribing to the podcast. This has been the San Francisco Experience with Jim Herlihy coming to you from San Francisco.